back to our episode of Ocarina of Time. We left off before with the end of Child Link's storyline, when he went to the dark future as a grown-up. And now he has to deal with all that. It's a bad scene. Yeah. What does he have to deal with, Cameron? Oh, God. Okay, so you decide that you need to go take care of whatever the problem is with Saria. But as you're leaving the... Oh, right, right, I forgot the whole thing. Where the first thing that happens as you're leaving the Temple of Time is you meet this mysterious character, Sheik. And Sheik was one of the great mysteries for the game if you went into it unspoiled. And also 10. I think being 10 was a very important part of your experience of this game. Was he not in pre-release material at all? You know, I actually do not believe that Sheik was in any capacity. That might be my memory failing me, but yeah, I remember seeing Sheik for the first time going, Who the hell is that? That's probably bad. No, wait. Good. Teaching music. Okay, that's good. Was the dark future a twist? Um... That it was the future was not a twist, but how bad it was? Yeah, I totally didn't see that coming. When did you play Ocarina? In the year 2001? Okay, that's not actually that long after, but I guess you would have been long ago exposed to the different spoilers of the game. Oh, yes, I had a guide and I read through it. Just the whole guide? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. Oh, that's pretty cool. Guides are cool. Man, I used to read guides all the time. I would buy a strategy guide for a game that I really liked, and then I would just read it. You can still do that. They still make them. I've got a, I've got the uh, special deluxe edition of the Breath of the Wild strategy guide right over there. How is it? It's probably one, legitimately, like, just in terms of how it's put together, it's one of the nicest books I own. Does it have lots of funny jokes in it? No, it doesn't. I remember that from guides. They would put little funny jokes in there. Uh, yeah, I, well, when you're a kid, those jokes are a hell of a lot funnier, right? Yeah. They're like hella funny in comparison. But this one's just like, it's really nice, got good binding, it's the size of a small table, and you can open it up all the way, and it doesn't feel like you're breaking it. Nice. Yeah, it's a pretty big deal. So, this begins the part of the game where, in some ways, the implications of the lore are a bit different from in the beginning. You have to go through and... A lot of what you're doing is dealing with people who are dead or the aftermath of situations that left people dead. Like, the first adult item you get is the hookshot, and it's given to you by the ghost of Dompe the Gravekeeper from Kakariko Village. Yes, his, his stretchy thing. Yeah, the wonderful stretchy thing that grabs onto stuff. And Sheik tells you, like, you should go get the treasure in Kakariko Village. And as it turns out, it's held by this dead gravekeeper, and he's super dead, and you have to race him doesn't seem like Hyrule is very good at defending itself. In terms of... Anyone being able to defend themselves against Ganondorf. Well, I mean, defending yourself against Ganondorf presents significant problems. The guy kills gods, literally. I mean, you think as a child that you've saved Jabu Jabu from the curse, and that makes sense. But when you go back to Zora's Domain as an adult, Jabu Jabu's gone. You think he's dead? I think he's super dead. I've always thought Jabu Jabu was dead. But then how does he show up in The Wind Waker? He doesn't. That's Jabun. Isn't that the same guy? Nope. Different character. <laughs> Why? Why what? Why is it a different character? He has a different name and a completely different design. But he's the only... Okay, fine, fine. What? what? No, go on. I want to hear this. Okay, well, okay. Here's the thing. The Deku Tree is killed. Yep. It's the first death you see, even before that guard. But then a new one grows. Yep. So why not with Jabu Jabu? That doesn't mean that they're the same person, or that they're the continuation of the same being. I just assumed that Jabun was like Jabu Jabu's child, or possibly a foreign 
uh, water god who swam over to Hyrule after the flood or something. I, w- I would say the word I would use is reincarnation. I don't know that we have a ton of evidence for that, but sure, the point is that I thought Jabu Jabu was dead. And, you know, you it's definitely very easy to read that situation that way. Well, either way, he's not there to protect the Zora. No, he's definitely not, which is why Zora's domain is completely frozen, which led to probably as many or more uh, fake methods of fixing things than the search for the Triforce did. Yeah, you could unfreeze it, and then there's going to be a unicorn fountain there. And when you go through the unicorn fountain, if you set off a bomb sequence on the statues around it, going counterclockwise twice, the fountain lifts up, and then you go underneath it, and you find a warp point that'll take you to the Sky Temple. Here's the ridiculous thing about the Triforce quest. You have the Triforce. You super do. You know where the other two pieces are. It's not in the world. Nope. And that nobody ever seemed to really acknowledge that when it came to time to put together these rumors. And rumors, uh, it was a very different time for these things because it was so hard for people to get together and test these things and provide video evidence. I have to admit, it still felt good in Skyward Sword when you just got the Triforce as an inventory item. You got the Triforce as an inventory item and you got it literally from a Sky Temple. (laughs) Yep. Oh, that was one of the best things. Like, that felt way better to me than the thing with Zora's Domain and Twilight Princess. Uh, They really did respond to all those rumors, huh? They super did. Uh, Twilight Princess was the first one where they went heavy on it, and then they let us forget about it just long enough for Skyward Sword to do the exact same thing in such a way that a lot of people didn't notice. Yeah, I didn't hear people talk about that moment. Which is weird, because the search for the Triforce was a big deal. So... We, we The basic structure of all of these quests, except for as relates to the Spirit Temple, is that Link goes to where he knew certain important characters and finds out that something has happened to them and goes through... Uh, he figures out that they're the Sage, and then he goes and he tries to rescue them. And the first of those, of course, is Saria. And as you go through what is probably still my pick for the best dungeon in Ocarina of Time, the Forest Temple, just for its... Uh, atmosphere, if nothing else. I'd probably say that too, yeah. Yeah. And you go through that, and it's very spooky, and it's full of ghosts. It's like a death-themed dungeon. It has that one twisty corridor. I, oh, that twisty corridor is so cool. They, they didn't have to do that, because this game was already impressive just for having 3D space and camera control and Z-targeting. And then they were like, let's do this weird twisty thing. Where you, like, twist the corridor along with the camera as you're pulling the camera back, and when you pull the camera back, it straightens out the twisty corridor. and it ch- It's very good. It changes which way is up, and that was, like, the craziest thing I'd ever seen in my life. And then they went even harder on that with the Stone Temple in the next game. They did. They Oh, the Stone Temple was hard to get your head around at first. Um, and you're going through here, and it, the Forest Temple's full of ghosts. It's a death-themed temple in a way that... Actually, a lot of these are death-themed temples. But this is a a temple where you're actively attacked by ghosts, like, all the time. The central mechanic for getting through it is hunting down ghosts and stealing their fire to light the way for you to solve one last puzzle and then go on to fight a super ghost who looks like Ganon. And that was actually... Go ahead. Did you know the boss room for uh, the Phantom Ganon fight was actually supposed to be the hub of the entire game? 
Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the thing it's where... It's supposed to be a Mario 64 type thing. Oh, yeah. So that it was like a... Yeah, Mario 64 is probably the better comparison, but the first thought I always had was like Castlevania, where the entire game takes place inside of Ganon's castle. That would have been pretty cool. I'm glad they did it the way they did, though. Yeah, it was good to have an actual kingdom and world with towns and people, but that would also be good for some kind of, say, expansion to Breath of the Wild. Huh, like a Majora's Mask-style sequel, or... Or, like, a big DLC ganon's castle with paintings i don't think we're going to get that but that is a very cool idea huh i guess that is why the paintings were there they're awful super mario 64 style with the way phantom ganon jumps back and forth between them huh that's cool so you kill phantom ganon and ganondorf is a complete just he's a jerk to this thing he's not very cool to it he's like oh you weren't very good you didn't manage to kill this kid at all i will banish you to the gap between dimensions okay because you can't just, like, kill a phantom, apparently. So he tr- traps it for all eternity in the gap between worlds. Well, it should have killed us. And it's still there! Everywhere in canon, Gan- Phantom Ganon is still there. Yeah, in the gap between... What does that even mean? The gap. It doesn't matter what the hell it means. Oh, you know what it is? What? He's in that little liminal space when you put on the 3DS slider between where it goes from 2D to 3D. Whoa. Okay, yeah, I can see that. So He's like, in your 3DS thing. Every time you switch on the 3D, Ganon tries to reach out and get you and redeem itself, but the switch is too fast and it can't quite make it. Ah, oh, 3DS is dangerous. But now that they've stopped producing 3DSs and it's just 2DS, his chance is gone. Well, I mean, they're, they're, I think they're still making the XL. So if he tries really hard, maybe he'll get one of us. Maybe he already has. Oh. Ooh. Ooh. Okay. So you kill the Phantom Ganon. Yeah, and you rescue Saria, possibly. And there's this really interesting conversation you have with Saria, and it's interesting in two ways for me. One of them is just a translation thing, because reading about this reveals that Saria speaks in a very childlike way in Japanese that doesn't come across quite the same way in English. Like, she refers to herself in the third person. So in the original translation in Ocarina of Time, uh, the last thing that she says to you is that Saria will always be your friend. And I guess whenever it was translated, the context for where that line would appear wasn't obvious to the translator. So when you read it, uh, because it was translated as if it wasn't coming from her voice, right? Right. So when you read it, it feels like maybe Navi's saying it, or like you're thinking of it yourself, or like the game is narrating it to you. It's not clear. But in the 3DS version, they've changed it. And now it says, I will always be your friend. I just always thought that bit was kind of interesting. Why would she refer to herself like that? In the third person? Yeah. Because it's just a childish thing to do in Japanese. That's one of the modes how you write children characters. Oh, well, okay. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. It's an interesting thing here because the way Saria talks about it, she'll always be your friend, but she's never going to see you again. Being a sage is mutually exclusive with being able to carry out that friendship. So sages cannot manifest themselves? A little bit extra light is shed on that when you're leaving. If you don't warp out, actually you cannot warp out of the Lost Woods at that point because you don't learn the Elegy of Light until you return to the Temple of Time after finishing the Forest Temple. So as you're leaving the Lost Woods, Mido 
the bully from the beginning of the game stops you and asks what happened to Saria. And Link tells him. We don't see exactly what Link says. But afterwards, Mito goes, oh, I see. Saria won't ever come back. And that kind of puts me in the camp of people who thinks that maybe the sages are all dead. When I was a kid, that read to me as, okay, Saria has left the forest to go be a sage. And once you leave the forest, you can't come back to the forest. Even though you're in the forest right there. Yes. All right. Now, I, I, that's, that's, a, that's a certain kind. That makes sense on a kid logic level. But when I read that now, I'm like, oh, God, she's dead. Let's, can we talk about Rauru for a second? Sure. He's, he's an ancient sage is what he calls himself, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's, like, definitely a ghost, right? Yeah, I mean, in, 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 in the Ocarina of Time view, yeah, he's probably a ghost of some kind. But also, he can manifest himself as an owl. As an owl, Kapora Gabora. So why can't Saria manifest herself as an owl? I don't know. I mean, maybe that's something that's only particular to him. Maybe he's not dead. Maybe he himself is... Like an immortal because he lives in the sacred realm. There are all kinds of ways you could read that. But I think the important thing to carry away from that is that Saria doesn't think she'll ever be able to see you again. And Link tells Mito that Saria will never come back. And that's about as close as the game ever gets to using the phrase that so-and-so is dead. And, you know, there's also what goes on with the other sages when you find them. So after you rescue... the rescue... After you awaken Saria, you head over to Death Mountain, which and you think, oh, I will go find Darunia. I'm sure he is fine. And you get to the Goron City, and there's nobody there. It's empty, except for this one little guy rolling around. And you stop him with a bomb, and he's like, oh, I'm super scared, but you will hear my name and tremble. I am Link, hero of the Gorons. And he's like, wait, your name's Link too? What a coincidence. Are your names Cameron, too? Yeah, your name's Cameron, too? That's super sick! Can I have your autograph? I always like that bit where he actually asks for your autograph. He's like, please make it out to my biggest fan, Cameron of the Gorons. No, no, it was my best friend, Cameron of the Gorons. That's what it was. And this is interesting because this kid is Darunia's son. And, yeah. And that made, like, when I was a kid, I thought, well, where are all the girl Gorons? Does that mean some of the Gorons are girls? And nowadays I'm like, does that mean that, like, Darunia okay. gave birth to this kid? If, if you want to know what the actual, sincere, no shit post thing is... Okay. Is I, uh, I object to the idea that in this fantasy world where everything works in its own different magical way, that you have to have a boy and a girl to reproduce. That, okay, I feel that. Thank you, Crystal. Uh, see, nowadays I figure that, like, Gorons maybe carve each other out of rocks. Oh, definitely. That's that, canon. Like, uh, like I, I could almost see it like Darunia carved this kid because he liked Link so much that he wanted to have a kid just like him. Because that's the kind of kid you want to grow up to be a hero. Oh, I didn't consider it like that. Well, I mean, he gave the kid Link's name for a reason. But I hadn't thought of, oh, he he molded him specifically in the style of Link. Yeah. At least that's what I figure. If 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 he's having a kid, if he can produce kids at will, then probably he wanted Link the Goron to be like Link the Hylian. Yeah, that makes sense. That doesn't super work out because Link the Goron's just a little kid and he's very scared of Ganondorf and all his minions. And Volvagia, the Goron-eating dragon who has been brought back from the dead by Ganon's dread magic. 
Well, look, not everyone can be the hero of courage. I guess not. Uh, so, you go to the Fire Temple, and all the Gorons are there. They've been gathered by Ganon's forces to be sacrificed to Volvagia the dragon. And I don't even remember why Ganon does this. I don't think he actually has a reason. I think he's just evil. Yeah, I think that's just like, he's doing it to be evil, or possibly to build power base Volvagia. Anyway, he's just evil. He's so evil. And it's like pointlessly evil, because who are the Gorons going to hurt? These, they're such big sweethearts with these huge black eyes, and they don't hurt nobody, and they don't run around much. See, this is why I never bought into that whole thing of Oh, I was jealous of the winds because it brought good things and bad things to my country. Because, no, you, you did it. You won. You had control. But you didn't do anything good. You just terrorized people for no reason. Ganondorf having a very different view of himself, justifying things differently as he ages, is probably the most human thing about him in Wind Waker to me. Because he's been alive for hundreds or even thousands of years at that point. And... His perspective has changed so much that he probably can't see himself as he really was. But when he's pushed to the edge, that same person comes to the forefront and he decides he's going to murder some 10-year-olds. And it's for spite, because he knows he can't fix things at that point. So, you go through the fire temple and you free all these... Go that The thing that I remember most about playing Ocarina with my family around is that once my father was watching me play... And he was like, what the hell is that over there? Because I was in Goran City. I went over, looked at the Gorans. I was like, yeah, this is a Goran. And he's like, what are they? I was like, they're rock people. And he's like, can you do anything with them? And I was like, I, I don't think so. And I got out my bow and arrow and I like, wait, no. I got out my slingshot and I fired a slingshot pellet into its face. And he's like, why would you do that? Oh, Cameron. Why would you do that? They're so sweet. Cameron. That's the last thing I remember about that is him saying that the Gorons are so sweet, why would you ever hurt them? Yeah, you, you were Ganon. I, kn I was Ganon, but that's a story for another time. Um, so you go through and you rescue all the poor, helpless Gorons who are so terrified they can't even look at you until you open their cells, go inside and talk to them and let, you, let them know you're not like a moblin or something. And they all flee, and Daruni is in there, you meet him very near the beginning of the dungeon, and he's like, Listen, I don't have the megaton hammer of the legendary Goran hero that can slay Volvagia, but I haven't got time for this. I'm going to go fight Volvagia and see how it goes. And you're like, Well, I'm going to go free the other Gorons and try to find this hammer. So you go and you free the other Gorons, you find the hammer, you fight your way back to where Volvagia is. And you go in, and uh, Darunia ain't fucking there. I think he might be dead. I think Volvagia might have ate his ass. Yeah, I think he's a ghost. I think he's a super ghost. He's a, we're going to put him again in the dead, dead sage column. Is A Link Between Worlds the only game where the sages aren't ghosts? Uh, I mean, the ancient sages in Twilight Princess don't seem to be ghosts. Because uh, they seem pretty ethereal. They're super ethereal, but also Ganon can actively murder them, so I don't think they're already dead. I mean, Ganon was a ghost in Wind Waker, and you can murder him. Uh, say that to me one more time. Ganon was a ghost in Wind Waker, and you can murder him. Was He was a ghost? I thought both him and the king were ghosts. Huh, okay, the king I can see, but why Ganon? Well, okay, he was sealed in the sacred realm. Right. And then he busted out. Right. But wouldn't he have busted out in the Temple of Time? It's not clear. Yeah, that's what I thought, is that he busted out, and then he fucking drowned. 
Now, see, that's 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 an interesting thing. We can save this. We'll talk about it during the Wind Waker episode. I want to come back to this because that's an interesting thought that Ganondorf himself is already dead. So you're thinking that like you're actively actively sealing the ghost of Ganondorf in stone with the Master Sword at the end of Wind Waker. Oh, definitely. Okay, that's an interesting thought. I don't think that happens, but I like that. That's cool. That's a cool-ass reading you've got there. But Darunia is definitely fucking dead. Yeah. And, uh, let's see. After you save Darunia, you go to Zora's Domain, and it's frozen. And you try to find the... uh, Sheik tells you that the source of the curse is at Lake Hylia. So you go to Lake Hylia, and you get the iron... No, you have to go behind Zora's Domain first where you get the iron boots from the ice cavern behind where Lord Jabu Jabu used to be. And the iron boots allow you to access the water temple, where you run into Ruto, and, uh, Ruto kind of got hot. Okay. No, that's, like, that's something that struck me when I was a kid. I was like, wow, she's naked, and she has hips for days. Was this your awakening, Cameron? To what? Let's move on. Anyway... It kind of struck me because it plays into this idea of Ruto possessing a really aggressive femininity, especially in relation to Link. But during that particular sequence, she's like, oh, that's right. There you are. We got You promised to marry me, right? Good to see that you're going to keep good on your word. But we'll tend to that later. I got to tend to this curse thing so I can free all the people in Zora's Domain. I'll see you at the top. And you follow up there and it's like, where, where did Ruto go? She vanishes. She vanishes, like, way earlier than the other sages do inside their own temples. Hey, can I ask you a question about Ruto? Please. Those little purple beads at the top of her head, are those eyes? Yeah. That freaked me out as a kid. Because she had four eyes? Yeah. Let's see. I mean, she had them when she was a child. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm looking at them right now in the manual. They're super there. That's super just eyes. That's gross. That's a fish person. What do you want? Fish don't have four eyes. They can. Wait, what fish have four eyes? I don't know. I don't even like flatfish. You don't like flounders? No, they're gross. Oh, what about stingrays? I think they're gross too. What about the little baby stingrays when they're pressed I don't like them. No? No. Oh, I think they're so cute. Cute little. I only like fish what look like fish. Oh, I mean, there's lots of different kinds of fishes out there. I don't even like starfish. Well, starfish are. Are they actually fish? They're not, no. But I don't like them. I think creatures should have two eyes. Only two eyes? Yeah. Anything else makes me unhappy. Are compound eyes allowed? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm glad we're putting this down there. But I think Ruto does the four-eyed thing better than most. Well, her father has only two eyes, so that's a little weird. Actually, she might be the only Zora in the game that actually has four eyes. Well, she's very wise. Is she? She's a sage. That doesn't mean she's wise. Doesn't it? Apparently not. Okay, what qualifies a sage? Um, you know, the game never actually gets into what makes a person a sage. We assume that they're born into it, or that they have a position of leadership within their communities that make them more worthy of it, but the game itself never says. Sheik seems to know that a person will be a sage before they know that they're a sage. So there's some quality to them that Sheik can recognize for whatever reason. But I think in this game, it's always very clearly someone who's kind of the wisest person of their people. Do you think? Yeah, I mean, is there a, a Zora that is more wise than Ruto? Well, no, Ruto has not got a lot of competition in that front. Yeah. All the other Zoras seem to be not 
on the up and up in a lot of ways. Okay, yeah, okay, yeah, I can accept that. There are people who seem more aware or more willing to address problems. Saria goes to the forest temple because something's wrong with the spirits and she wants to fix it. Zora tries, uh, Ruto tries to help out Jabu Jabu because he seems sick. Daruni is the leader of the Gorons. Yeah, this is all, this all fits. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So you get through the water temple and I think the water temple's good. I like the water temple. It's always been Yeah, I never really had a problem with it. That's also because I had a guide with me. Oh, yeah, I guess that's fair. I, I got my way through it normally. I'm sure it took me several days to do so, but I really enjoy the Water Temple. I thought that that big room where the floor is mirrored and your reflection disappears as you walk over the island in the center and then you turn around and Dark Link is there, I thought that was the coolest thing. Let's talk about Dark Link for a second. Okay. Okay, his previous appearance was Zelda Two as the final boss. Yes. Yeah. yeah. There, that makes sense, because that whole game is about proving yourself worthy of the Triforce of Courage. Right. Final challenge is overcoming yourself. Okay. Why does he show up here? Well, to get into that, we have to talk about what the temples themselves are, right? We can get into that. Because the temples themselves, obviously they've been corrupted in their purpose by Ganon's magic and by all the monsters running around in them. But they're holy structures. They're temples. And assumedly... They're places of spiritual significance for the sages, or they're supposed to be, or else they're trials set up for the hero. And that would sort of make its own kind of sense, right? That the primary purpose behind them is to arm Link so that he can go and face down Ganon, or whatever it is. There's a lot of, like, design to specific purpose in the far future in this series. Okay. But if we look at it that way... It's easy to assume that Dark Link is a product of Ganon's magic affecting the Water Temple. But the Water Temple is different from a lot of the other temples in that most of the enemies in it aren't the kind of enemies that you associate with Ganon's magic. There are unique enemies like those spiky balls and there's a bunch of water-based enemies that don't really appear anywhere else in the game. But there aren't like a whole ton of pose or... There's maybe a couple of Stalfos, but it's relatively free of Ganon's power, except for the boss. Huh. It's like he placed a curse on the temple itself. And it's interesting, because I remember this very specifically. When you Z-target Dark Link and get information on it from Navi, because this was the first game where you could get information on an enemy just by targeting them, Navi says, face yourself. So do you think Dark Link is just a natural part of this temple? Yeah, I think it actually might be. Because Navi would... You'd think that Navi would freak out a little bit more over it, or have something more to say. Like, oh, he has all your moves, or something like that. But no, she's very direct and to the point. Face yourself, and that's all she gives you. So, I, yeah, I, I think that might be what that room is about. It's the magic of the room that you have to be able to face... A manifestation of your own powers. Because an interesting thing about Dark Link is that Dark Link actually... I, I think this is true. Dark Link actually has more health the more hearts Link has. Oh, is that so? I remember reading that a long time ago, and it seems to track with my experience. I think you'll see, like, low heart runs where Dark Link goes down really fast. I'm not 100% on that, but I think it's the case. Regardless, yeah, I think that he's a natural part of the temple, and that if Ganondorf had walked through there, there'd be like a dark Ganondorf that he'd have to face down. 
Hmm, okay. That kind of makes sense with the room he's in. Right. He's got that reflection, and killing Dark Link breaks the magic of the room. And past that is the tool that you need to navigate the rest of the temple. If you read the temples as being basically training grounds for Link, where he's supposed to go through them in certain sequences in order to get the abilities that he needs to get through the rest of them, that they're designed for him. Because they're literally designed for him from a gameplay perspective. But if you read that in the text, then the idea that they're designed to strengthen him fits very well with the rest of the series. So, you talk, you, let's go back to the Child Link section for a second. Talk okay. about the dungeons there. So, when you did the first dungeon, that wasn't really... That was really just the... Deku Tree testing you, right? To make sure you're ready to go out in the world? Yeah, I think so. So do you think he, like, reformed the inside of his body to be more dungeon-like for you? Yeah, I think he moved around his guts. And then since all the other dungeons are inside of gods, did they reform their guts? Um, I don't think Jabu Jabu did. I think you were just going through his guts as they were, which is why they're so messed up and weird. And I'm not really sure about... Uh, Dodongo's Cavern, but I think it's the way it is because it was being mined out. I do think the Deku Tree reformed his guts. I don't think the other two did. Okay, that's fair. They weren't; those two were not meant specifically to be trials because the other end of this, uh, other end of that quest, the stones themselves weren't actually being guarded by the dungeons. They're not temples, so to speak. The trial for Link there is just whatever it takes to get that stone in his hand. That makes sense. So it's like the dungeons in the first half of the game, the dungeons in the last half of the game, serve different narrative purposes, even though their mechanical purposes are identical. Which also works because none of your equipment as a kid works in the adult dungeons, and they're not designed for it. So theoretically, Link could have grown up without getting any of the dungeon items from the first half of the game and still made it through. Right. That's how I see it. Let's see now. So you get through the water temple, and it's also a cool temple that is good and enjoyed by people of taste. And you fight Dark Link, and you get to the end of it after playing Zelda's Lullaby like 600 times to change the... That's a change that I really liked in the 3DS version where it would guide you to the nearest spot. And it kind of ordered... It probably made things too easy in the way it labeled the order in which you needed to play the songs. Because you can fly through the Water Temple in the 3DS version being as guided as it is. Well, you know, a lot of people complained. They did complain. And it's probably better now the way that it is for new players. But, uh, yeah, so you get through it and you fight Morpha, which still might be the most technically impressive boss on the N64 to me. Oh, yeah, looking at these nice round polygons. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, it looks super good. And it, uh, it was like, for listeners who for some reason do not know, Morpha is a water monster that extends out of the water. But the monster itself is actually a small, sing- a singular cellular, or a single-celled organism that you have to pull out of the water and fight. The organism itself can't fight you, but it can use the water surrounding it in magical ways to strangle the shit out of you. It's a, it's really cool visually. I like it a lot. But it also does more damage than like any enemy in the game up until you run into Iron Knuckles. God, getting grabbed by that thing. So you you kill it, hit its eye with the hook shot, uh-huh. and then with the sword. Then with the sword, and it dies. And you save Rudo, but... But she, she awakens as a sage. She says, Link, I would have expected no less from the man who I chose to be my husband. 
Zora's domain and its people will eventually return to their original state. This got so many people. If you see Sheik, please give him my thanks, okay? And that's all you get. Doesn't seem like she holds you to it that much. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I skipped a bit. Because the way that these are arranged in the text dump is a little bit weird. As a reward, I grant my eternal love to you. Well, that's what I want to say, but I don't think I can offer that now. Princess Zelda, she's alive. I can sense it, so don't be discouraged. I have to guard the Water Temple as the Sage of Water. Basically, uh, they don't mention anything in the text that suggests that she's super dead, but I also think she probably got killed by Morpha. Hey, you know what's a good way to get out of marriage? Dying? Uh-huh. Yeah. Strong way. She doesn't seem like she wanted to get out of it, though. Like, she she seemed into the idea. Genuinely into the idea. She was a kid. She was a kid, but she also seemed very into it when she was an adult. Because she does want to give you her eternal love. It's one of the things she says. Well, she can't because she's stuck in the sacred realm forever. And dead. Two things. Two things in the way there. Well, even if they aren't dead, they would be... They can't leave the sacred realm, right? Um... Not until the threat has passed, at least. Though, I don't think they stay in the Sacred Realm at the end, no. They have to seal it from the outside. There's that shot in the credits, but are they ghostly in the credits? Oh, we'll get to that later. Yeah, we'll get to that later. Um, so this is the part where the game splits off a little bit, because it's theoretically possible for you to go after either the Shadow Temple or the Spirit Temple next. You don't need the dungeon item from either of those to complete the other one, which is a bit of a break with the series actually was that true in the water temple too did you ever need the megaton hammer i think you could do water and fire in either order as well okay which did you usually do between the shadow and the spirit i did shadow first because you just swing by kakariko and then all this shit starts to go down Uh uh-huh yeah that makes sense so link swings by kakariko for whatever reason and shit starts to go down the whole place is on fire and Sheik's in the middle of the town, and Sheik's like, ah, uh, there's some bad stuff going on here. And then Sheik's attacked by this big invisible monster that flings them around and basically pa- spikes them like a football halfway across the town. And Link runs over to make sure Sheik's okay and sees this big shadowy specter flying around the town. And it's like, well, I saw this thing wreck Sheik super hard, but that ain't going to stop me from trying to fight it. And Link gets his shit wrecked. It's like the only moment in the game outside of facing Ganon where Link just canonically gets the shit kicked out of him super good. Owned. Must you? Sorry? Must you? Must I what? Ah, never mind. So, afterward, Sheikah's like, listen, um, that's a big bad monster that came from inside the well. It's not very clear how it got free from the well. You did it. You did it yourself. And, uh, Impa has gone to the Shadow Temple to try and reseal it again. Because it turns out Impa's the one who s- sealed it away in the first place. And you have to go save Impa. You have to go save Impa right now. And you're like, oh, all right, let's go save Impa. So then you can't go there just yet. You need the Lens of Truth to get anywhere inside of the Shadow Temple. And to get the Lens of Truth, you have to go back in time and cause a paradox. Ah, yes. Because Your very first time paradox. The very first time paradox of the Zelda series where you... As an adult, you go to the windmill in Kakariko Village, and the man in the windmill is like, Oh, you know this song? I hate this song. Some kid came here a long time ago and played this song, and the windmill hasn't been right ever since. I'll never forget this song. And then you play the song that he's teaching you. He's like, I can't believe you played that song. I just taught you. Are you that kid? Where are you going? Come back here. And you go back in time, and he get using that hint, and you go 
and you play the song and it causes the windmill to go super crazy because it's the song of storms and storms make windmills spin too fast i guess and it drains all the water out of the well somehow yeah don't worry about it okay so then you drop down into the well where Sheik has just finished telling you this evil, evil, evil ghost is sealed away. And you blow open the stones that are uh, keeping you from getting inside. You go inside the well and it's scary and some of the floors are not actually floors. They're openings where the gaps are just invisible. And it's full of zombies who can freeze you by looking at you and screaming real loud. And I hope you have the Song of the Sun when you go down here so you can freeze the zombies instead. Because if you don't, you're going to have a bad time. Hey, what's the deal with this with this place? Why are there torture chambers under Kakariko? That's uh, it's a real good question. It's a real good question, Crystal. I, uh, I don't know. Apparently, um, the Sheikah were up to some real Black Ops shit during the war. Or it seems that way. Or else the... Because it used to be exclusively a Sheikah village, right? Before Impa opened it up to the public. Right. So whatever was going on down there, it was Sheikah business. Oh, okay. So it seems like the Sheikah, acting as agents of the royal family, may have had occasion to imprison people and hurt them very badly. And the things that they did stained the well with the anger of restless spirits. And I'm... So did, Go did ahead. they make Bongo Bongo? It's not super clear, but it's possible. I mean... Is Ganondorf just getting revenge for his comrades that were tortured by the Sheikah? There's a strong fanfic in there, Crystal, I tell you what. There's a strong fanfic in there. Huh. Yeah, you should write that. That would be good. Um... I don't want to make Ganondorf sympathetic. No? No. People like him much better when he's got a sympathetic streak in him. Well... He's not sympathetic in this game at all. Yeah, I love it. I love how he's not sympathetic in any way. He's so evil. It's like, he's so evil that 99% of the people who go through this game get through the well and are like, oh, this is a spooky place, and never ask themselves, I wonder why it's like this. That's the way it is with a lot of the settings in this game, actually. And the Shadow Temple is much the same, but Under the Well is really bad because it's just full of ghosts who have been hurt very badly and it seems clear that either the sheikah did it or whoever had the land before them did it and maybe it's easier to think of it that way but the simplest assumption is that the sheikah were doing some bad shit down there and you have to fight a lot of ghosts to get the treasure of it the treasure under the well is the eye that allows you to see the truth and to get it you have to fight what might be the freakiest enemy in any zelda game the dead hand i hate the dead hand this guy's gross. I still hate the dead hand. It's not so bad when you fight it again later because you can use the lens of truth to see where it is and throw a bomb on the little shadow circle and get it to come out of the ground without you being grabbed by a hand. But it's like this big, horrible, corpse, white, fleshy thing with its jaw hanging loose and its skin is hanging in all sorts of places and it just it ain't got no feet. It shuffles through the ground. It's nothing good about the thing. It's a bad man. Uh, yeah, it's a very... Well, I don't know if it's a man, but I don't like it very much. It's probably very bad. It's it's the manifestation of a lot of bad feelings. And it has hands. It has little hands, but it doesn't even hit you or anything. It bites you with its big, awful, fucked up mouth. I hate it. It's big old well, teeth. Well, I mean, let's think about it. It's a, very, it's a very, very bad, ugly monster. Yes. But it's just mad that the Hillians and the Sheikah tortured it. Oh, that's very possible. And oh. then it smells Hillian blood into its resting place it's like oh geez 
I don't want to be tortured again. Time for some revenge also. Yeah. And, you know, the Lens of Truth is probably a device for dispelling magic huh. for torture sessions. You think? I don't know. Something like that. <laughs> We're writing the darkest fanfic. Though talking about Dead Hand does bring to mind that Ocarina of Time and Majora went in on some really disturbing styles of enemy design that kind of went away for the entire rest of the series. Yeah, I miss that. Like, can you imagine what Dead Hand would look like if it was in Breath of the Wild? Probably not as gross. No, I mean, like, not if it was according to Breath of the Wild's design aesthetic, because I don't think there's space in Breath of the Wild's design aesthetic to allow for that. But, like, if you took that same design and plopped it down in Breath of the Wild's engines with assets meant to create that same feeling that Dead Hand gave to you 20 years ago, I think it would be possibly the most disgusting monster you've ever seen. Well, I do think part of the appeal is the way it's kind of low-poly with blurry textures. Yeah. Cause yeah, I think that contributes to the creepy aesthetic. I think that it being more visibly corpsey would also work pretty good. Bless me. I mean, you also go back to, like, the Resident Evil games on PS1. Arguably, the designs there were more grody than in RE7. Really? You'd think maybe those designs were grody? Well, yeah, they do get pretty bad. Though I will say that the Bakers are probably grodier than the original Resident Evil zombies. Definitely. But I guess my point here is that both of those games do go for the creepy aesthetic, for the gross aesthetic. But on the PS1, there's just something about the way that hardware works that really synergizes with it. Yeah. Yeah, that that makes sense. Even still, like, that sense of innate creep factor is something that i'd like to see them return to at some point as it's like part of it sounds like i'm just being an old person who's like oh enemy designs were so much scarier when i was a kid but also those designs in ocarina were legitimately much scarier than in later games like even twilight princess which went in hard on its particular pseudo dark aesthetic didn't have anything that was as freaky as dead hand no definitely not i will say that the calamity ganon hits a lot of those same notes in terms of like what am i looking at so i know they can still do it they just don't one way that i phrased it to my brother when i was trying to talk about calamity ganon without spoiling anything is that calamity ganon looks as scary as we remember ocarina of time ganon being like that's legitimately just a scary scary design i kind of don't get that from screenshots i remember the way he moved kind of put me off but he's got this spider aesthetic and he's got the horrible half skull face and he moves like like he moves like a freaky monster so you go through the sheikah torture chamber and you fight this vengeful ghost and you get the lens of truth and then you go into the shadow temple and let me see if i can find the particular line shadow temple oh okay shadow temple This is stuff that's written inside the Shadow Temple as you go into it. Like, this is what lets you know you need the Lens of Truth to progress. Shadow Temple. Here is gathered Hyrule's bloody history of greed and hatred. Jesus. What is hidden in the darkness. Tricks full of ill will. You can't see the way forward. One who gains the Eye of Truth will be able to see what is hidden in the darkness. And it's like you go through it and it's like, oh, yeah, this place totally is like a totally horrible charnel house full of like copses and ghosts and bloody walls and invisible death traps and all kinds of horrible stuff 
What's the Sheikah's problem? I don't know. I mean, if you want to read it generously on their behalf, this is what the Sheikah, like, they could be where they dumped all the bad things from Hyrule. Like, they they acted as the elimination squad for Hyrule's worst elements during the war. But, uh, yeah, the Shadow Temple's fucked up. Like, I'm still kind of trying to pick apart the ride down the River of the Dead on that big boat that you can only send forward by playing Zelda's lullaby is still pretty weird. Which means it's sanctioned by the royal family. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is a temple. It is there to strengthen the hero. But it's all of Hyrule's worst elements at once, which makes it... It it puts it in a very interesting place for the lore of the series. It's never quite sure what to make of it. And... You get through this whole thing, half of which is invisible, and there's guillotines everywhere and spinning invisible scythe statues that look like the Grim Reaper and are going to chop you in half and all kinds of bullshit. And you get through it, and you find this ancient ghost, you find this spirit that had been sealed away by Impa before, and that she failed to seal for a second time. Which implies to me that that spirit very probably killed her. Um, And you fight it, and you defeat it. And you awaken Impa as the Sage of Shadows. And she's like, okay, I'll be here. You go take care of things. Don't worry, Zelda's fine. I know for a fact that Zelda's okay. And it's like, oh, okay, I wonder how Impa knows that. Oh, this must be that Sage thing they've got going. This uh, kind of aesthetic for the Sheikah doesn't really show up in other games. Not at all. Yeah, because Twilight Princess, they're Old West. Yeah. And Breath of the Wild, they're ninjas who also make robots. Um, yeah, I guess that's a simple way to describe it. Are they so messed up here? I don't know. I guess it's like, maybe this this post-war setting is just inherently fucked up. Like, Ocarina of Time is actually a relatively dark setting in the context of the Zelda series. Definitely. Like, I think it might be darker than... Not darker than Majora's Mask, but maybe darker than the other 3D games. I would say that, yes. Yeah. Which is saying something, because some of them throw pretty dark in places. Breath of the Wild's got some shit in it, Twilight Princess has got some shit in it, but this whole segment of the game is awfully relentless in how it handles this stuff. Breath of the Wild also takes place in a world where Ganon won, but it feels better than this. True. Well, I guess because Ganon had to peace out for a hundred years. I'm, like, the backstory of Breath of the Wild is really bad, because Ganon very nearly succeeds at genocide. Uh-huh. Like, they refer to the years following Ganon's attack as the Age of Burning Fields. Damn. You remember that. Yeah. So, uh, the plot gets a little bit more complex here, slightly, when you start... It's more time travely. A lot more time travely. It also gets a lot goofier. It's like the game remembers, like, oh, right, we... Shit, we gotta have some goofy stuff in here. So, what do we want to do for the goofy stuff? Well, you know those uh, those uh, carpenters, the ones who just, like, frolic around instead of working all day? Yeah, we know those carpenters. Oh, they're lazy, right? Oh, they're super lazy. So, what should they do? They wouldn't want to work, so they figured they can have an easy life by becoming bandits. By becoming bandits. So, they're supposed to be repairing the bridge that connects Gerudo Valley to Hyrule Field. But instead, they decide they're going to go join the Gerudo as bandits. And a lot of people read that as having, like, perverted reasoning behind it. But whenever you talk to them, it's actually pretty clear they're doing it because they're lazy and don't want to work as carpenters. Okay. Why would being a bandit be easier? Also, are the Gerudo even bandits? 
Well, see, that's just the thing. It's not clear that they're bandits. They seem to be a mercantile society, and it's just that Hylians think of them as bandits. Yeah, that seemed like a racist stereotype. No, seriously, it did. And it's like uh, a lot of the way that our view of the Gerudo is informed by the Hylian view of them. And once you realize that people are so weird about the Gerudo, it's like, oh, maybe Ganon wasn't wrong to treat the... Hylians as scum, because they've definitely treated his people that way for quite a while. Well, that's fair, but what did the Gorons ever do to him? Uh, I guess they failed to give him a rock when he asked for it. That's it. That's all I've got. Uh, yeah, the the Gerudo live in an isolated desert fortress. No one's gonna pass by them for them to rob. Yes, that's definitely true. I guess, like, the idea is that they think that the Gerudo come out on raids... When they're not going into Hyrule Castle Town looking for boyfriends, there's a lot. Well, that's of, just a rumor, you know. I know. There's a lot of different prejudices about the Gerudo that you can unpack about this, but the ultimate effect of it is that in an ocarina of time, we effectively don't know anything about them. They certainly don't tell you. No, they don't. Like the only thing you know for sure is that they think that men, generally speaking, are awfully strange, and that Ganondorf's all right, and that Noboru is cool as shit. That all checks out. Yeah. Like, literally, that's all you get. And Link tries to... Oh, man. It's such a weird sequence in some ways because the Gerudo society itself is so weird. And you go through the Gerudo fortress in actually a pretty decent stealth section. I like it quite a bit because you can knock out the guards for a while. And you don't have to use arrows to do it. You can just use the hook shot, I think. I think you can use the hook shot. And yeah, use the hook shot to knock them out. Just like you use arrows to knock them out. Uh-huh. They're unconscious. They wake up afterward. Right. They definitely don't have a concussion from being stabbed in the head. Yeah, I mean, you can get them in the foot and it does the same thing. They're not bleeding out. They're fine. Don't worry about it. They're fine. So, it's totally okay if you're unconscious for 24 hours. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. So Link gets through Gerudo's fortress, and uh, he rescues all of these shitbird carpenters who just want to get out of an honest day's work. And I'm really mad at these carpenters. Uh, they're, they're, they, all they have to do is build a bridge crystal. They work with their hands. They make things. They have one of the most rewarding jobs on the planet, and they don't want to deal with it because they're lazy. Well, the world's ending. No, it's not. The world will go on, even if Ganondorf is going to kill them any day now. They don't they even believe that. If they believed that Ganon was going to kill them, they wouldn't have taken a job to go to the Gerudo Fortress. Well, he's not going to kill Gerudo, except when he does. Except when he does. Now, in fairness, that's not actually him doing that. That's his mom's. Ganon and his two moms. They're bad news. Link rescues all the carpenters. And the second in command of the Gerudo, not Noburu, she's actually the commander of the Gerudo. I guess Ganondorf is considered separate from this hierarchy. Are you looking up this character? Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So, oh, one interesting thing about the second in command of the Gerudo in the N64 version, I don't remember if this carried over in the 3DS version, is that the color of her clothes will match whatever color tunic Link is wearing. And... Th that remains true even if you hack the game and give Link weird colored tunics. She's like, okay, you know what? You're pretty all right. We're just going to let you walk around since you seem to have some banditry skills and we value that in a uh, person. So, you know, don't cause any trouble, but you could, you, you're cool. You can be here. You're cool. And they're like, all right. So 
the bandits very well could have joined the Gerudo if they had been competent. Yes. If they hadn't just walked up and be like, hey, can we join, guys? Oh, no, why are we in prison? <laughs> it's like they're lazy in the way they try to be lazy, and that works out poorly for them. Uh, so, yeah, they could have joined. So, Link gets permission to go through the Gerudo Desert. Now, if I understand how fortresses work, theoretically, the rest of the Gerudo actually live somewhere in the desert. And this is like a military outpost that probably served to defend Gerudo territory from the armies that were raging all over Hyrule. That would make sense. And Link being allowed into the desert is actually kind of a big deal because he's being allowed past their military presence. But it's also assumed that he will die. Link can go around in the Gerudo Desert in Breath of the Wild all day. It's fine. But when you go in there in Ocarina of Time, it's like a constant death from the environment all the time forever. There's quicksand and all kinds of shit. You can't even get past it unless you have either the hover boots or the long shot. One of those two. And Link goes through this desert. He finds a ghost who leads him through a particular sequence. And he can only see it with the lens of truth. And it takes him all the way to the spirit temple and the spirit temple is an interesting place because it reveals a lot about navi's own prejudices but it's also where time travel becomes really important to how the game works you get to the spirit temple and sheik's like okay cool you made it here um it's way too late for you to do anything here as you are now uh you need to come back here as a kid only someone with the heart of a child can uh do what needs to be done in the spirit temple at this juncture and I was like, oh, okay, and, you know, and you come back as a kid, and you go in, and Naburu's there. And she's like, hey, I'm going to be a sage later. I was like, oh, okay. And talking to Naburu is actually kind of interesting, because when you talk to Naburu about Ganondorf, and you can tell her that you hate his guts, and you should, because Ganondorf is a bad man. And she's like, you know what, I don't like that motherfucker either. Like, we have a code, even when we do bad things. But Gandorf, he hurts women and children. He even kills people. And I think that's interesting because it does characterize the Gerudo about as much as they're ever really characterized in terms of how they interact with the other races. And that even if some of them are bandits, they don't really hurt people, so to speak. They're honorable thieves. Sure, why not? I mean, not like there's not a ton of problems with that anyway. But Ganondorf is unusual amongst the Gerudo because of how much he likes hurting people. And he has, Naburu mentions that he has specific followers who join him in these activities. Which is interesting because you never see any of Ganondorf's followers outside of his mom's. So Naburu is like, hey, I tell you what, uh, there's a big treasure in there and I need you to go get it for me and bring it back. They're the silver gauntlets. And if you bring them back to me, I'll give you an unbelievable price. Get them and bring them back. And don't even think about taking them. A kid can't wear them. And Link's like, okay, none of that makes any sense to me. But I'm going to go get these things. And he goes through. And he gets the silver gauntlets. And he's like, alright, I got these. I'm going to walk out through this door over here. And as soon as he walks out, Nuburu has been found by Kotake and Koome. The ancient witches who raised Ganondorf. And who are his most loyal followers. Who are these two? Kotake and Koome. Yeah. At this point in the story, it's not actually super clear. They're just evil witches. Uh, we find out later that they are his surrogate mothers. Are they Gerudo? They seem to very plainly be Gerudo, yes. So, okay. So Ganondorf was born to the tribe. Yep. 
did he not have a biological mother um it seems that he most likely did have a biological mother because we know that we uh, we only know from breath of the wild that gerudo have daughters so it seems stands to reason that ganondorf was also born in a similar way but and you would think in a society like this that every child would be raised by the tribe but ganondorf being king probably was given a more hands-on experience by the old witches like, they took particular care of him to teach him the dark arts and whatnot. We never really see any other magic users among the Gerudo. Yeah, these two seem like outliers, both in their magic and in their being evil. Yeah, it's interesting because normally, like, they would be filling the role of wise women who would be leaders of the tribe just from virtue of their experience and their accrued wisdom over the very long time that they've been alive. But they're treated as outsiders who aren't considered part of the regular hierarchy. Naburu is the leader of the Dugarudo, not Ganondorf and not the two witches. They're also the only ones besides Ganondorf himself to have green skin. Yeah, they do definitely have a green tint to them, don't they? Tell me, how often have you heard the argument that Ganondorf's skin is not green? I've never heard that argument. You've never heard that argument. Is his skin not green? No, it is. it's super green, but lots of people argue that his skin is not green. It's visibly green. Yeah. In every one of his appearances. Especially Ocarina of Time. But yeah, people will argue that his skin is not green. It's just uh, brown. And any other case where you get an opposite appearance of that is just due to lighting. It's just due to lighting. No, because... All of the other Gerudo have brown skin. Yes, very, like, explicitly human-toned brown skin. Yeah, Ganondorf's appearance is definitely intentional, and I guess if we take this with Twin Rova in mind, then it's due to his dark magic? It's very possible. Of course, when I was a kid, I actually read Surrogate Mother very differently, in that I figured that Ganon was the child of Twin Rova. Sure. Yeah. That's how I read it. Like, he was born out of this super witch. So, the two witches... One more question while we're talking about Ganon's appearance. Okay, yeah. What's the deal with his eyebrows that connect to his hair? Um, they're super sick looking. You ever seen anybody with eyebrows that go all the way back to their hairline? I've never seen that. I don't think that's possible in humans. Eyebrows connected to hairline. Um, huh. Is that just because he's so evil? No, it's just, uh, that's radical. I mean, if I could get my eyebrows to do that, I might. You'd have to use dark magics. <sighs> well, I mean, everything every, everything needs, like, th- there's a balance to it, right? I'm okay with having dark magics if it gives me that sick brow line going all the way back. One thing that I like about Ganondorf in this game is that he's so huge. Like, even kneeling, he's taller than Link is as an adult. And his biceps are, like, bigger than his head. And his head's not tiny. He's a big boy. He's a big, bad boy. And he looks like he could tear things apart with his bare hands. I love how stupidly, like, masculine-coded and threatening he is. It's just... It's such a good, such a stupid, such a silly, silly, silly design. Ah, it's good. So, is there anything else we want to talk about with regards to Twin Rova before we get around to the thing? So, are, are they sisters? Yeah, they seem to pretty explicitly be sisters. Okay. They're twins. I was wondering if they were, like, wives. Huh. I guess they could have been, but it seems to imply that they're sisters. Or I guess you could read them as being, like, two halves of a greater person. I, I'm... I think my perception is just colored by Steven Universe. 
Um, where all fusions are, like, representing of a romantic relationship. Yeah. Well, sometimes it's not necessarily romantic, but most of them definitely are. Um, oh, I, th- I think they're actually sisters. Like, they're sisters. Okay. Yeah, they have an argument about which one of them was born first. And that's, like, the hardest you can go in on sister arguments. Um, I'm only 400 years old. I'm only 380 years old. How could you be 380 years old when we're twins? How could you say that to your older sister? How are you supposed to be my older sister if you're 20 years younger? Ah, oh, I like that shit. That's a good argument. We should have more Twin Rova. Twin Rova is also the best boss. Oh. Uh, are we counting Ganon? Yes. I really like the Ganon fight. Ah, uh, we'll get to that. Twin Rova is definitely the best of the temple bosses, I think. Volvagia is cool, though. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're right, though. Twin Rova's... With the, the, we'll get around to that. That's a cool fight, though. You're totally right that it's a cool fight. So, we... uh, so They magic away Naburu. She's sucked into, like, this magical vortex, and she warns Link, you gotta get out of here. Like, just run, kid. And he's like, all right. So he comes back seven years later, and who even knows what happened to Naburu? And he's got the silver gauntlets, which lets him move just preposterously gigantic rocks to get things out of his way. And when I was a kid, I liked to try to figure out how heavy the things Link was lifting were. Because no particular reason. I just liked the numbers. What numbers did you come to? This was like 15 years ago, so I can't remember them super good. But like with the silver gauntlets, he picks up boulders that are taller than he is. And I don't know what kind of rock they're made out of, but they probably... I, I don't remember. It was multiple, multiple tons that he could pick up and just throw. I always thought it was cool that he would be that strong in this game. I hadn't yet played Link to the Past where he picks up these giant boulders. They're just these ridiculously huge sprites. But so he goes through the Spirit Temple, and Navi reveals that she's a huge racist by talking about how evil the Goddess of the Sands looks. Jeez. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. It was probably just Din. Uh, it's hard. I don't know about that. I thought that she was like the guardian, the sp- specific guardian of the Gerudo. And I always thought she was really cool looking too. So I was like, Nobby, you got to get over this shit, girl. We got to unpack some of this so we can move past it. But uh, you go through it and you fight more of these enemies, the Iron Knuckles, right? And the Iron Knuckles traditionally are animated suits of armor that don't have anybody inside of them. And they're super strong in this. They hit harder than any other enemy in the game. Every time they smack you, it's for four hearts. And you fight one more at the end of the Spirit Temple, and it falls apart, and it turns out it's Naburu. And she was inside of that, and assumedly, she had been subject to magical experiments for seven years, and she doesn't seem to remember anything of what's happened to her in that time span. Well, just like Link. Yeah, basically. Though Link does have some idea of where he's been. Naburu has none. And she's like, okay, I'm free now. That's good. And then the witches appear and they're like, holy crap, you actually beat her. Okay, oh, they're taking her back. And they magic her away. And it's not clear what happens to her after that. We actually don't know where she goes. The sacred realm? No, the, the, the witches actually make it plain that they are going to brainwash her again. So wherever she is, it's somewhere else. But assumedly she's alive. Unlike every other sage so far. So you fight Twin Rova using the mirror shield. And that's actually a really cool fight. Because one's a 
fire witch and the other's an ice witch and you got to reflect their powers back at each other and it's cool just like the ability to angle the shield is so completely useless for such big parts of the game but when you get the mirror shield it makes it feel really cool that you can reflect these beams of light in particular directions and you have to actually mind your angle between the two witches if you want to hit them with each other's attacks and i enjoyed that bit and then they end up combining into it's just sort of funny that it's these two little grandma characters right and they're such tiny old women that their heads are nearly as big as the rest of their bodies and they got this giant hair but when they combine into what might be their true form it's not super clear when they combine they turn into this like 20 foot tall super curvaceous ultra witch with like two magic wands who's like just stacked in every way that a person can be stacked that's the power of love is it what kind of love are you talking about sisterly cameron i what no no nothing i let's see the 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 thing that i liked is um kelly turnbull the author of manly guys doing manly things at the punchline is machismo.com described twin rova uh let's see here for those who aren't in the know in ocarina of time ganondorf was raised by two tiny witch sisters with the power to fuse together into some kind of titty cat suit cougar grandma called twin rova and that's the best description of her i've ever heard that's accurate it's super accurate and that boss fight's really funny because it's another like just the bit where she winks at link and he's like ah it's like the fifth time over the course of the game that a woman expresses sexual interest in him and it freaks him out i mean he's he's nine yeah he is that's a that's 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 a good thing to keep in mind that he's at a particular age where he might be aware of these things but they're super scary to him and uh yeah then you kill these old ladies and they i think this is actually the first instance only instance in a zelda game where they give any indication that there's actually an afterlife so to speak well there's one for the gerudo at least for gerudo witches if if we have to be even more specific yeah they could be going to whatever dark patron they got their power from you think you think that's why they get the halos of light and float off in this shaft of radiance up towards the sun look have you ever played shin megami tensei i've played a, a couple of them well god's a bad guy in those games Oh, well, I mean, like, yeah, God's not great. Though, this game, these games aren't that much like Shin Megami Tensei. Gods are generally all right in Zelda games. They're not that bad. What about Ganon? I would have really thought you'd go for Demise there. No, uh, same difference. Uh, no, I don't know. We'll come back to that. Come back They're to that. Basically the same person. I just like the uh, two little witches arguing with each other. As they're floating off to heaven, because for whatever reason, these two horrors are get all the signifiers of getting to go to heaven. And, like, they swear that they'll haunt you for the rest of your days. They're like, meh, as they disappear. And it's like the most goofily pathetic way to end this battle with these two witches who have given you such a hard time. Well, you know, maybe it's just an illusion they're casting. And they're escaping? Yeah, because we know in the Oracle games, they are alive. Yeah, Oracle games, uh... Yeah, they are, but they're dead here. And I'm going to say they were not resurrected for the Oracle games. Well, so that would mean that Link not only lost his fight against Ganon, but lost against Twin Rova. Oh no, he never lost against either of them. Oh, is this is this your, your own theory? Yep. Okay, we'll get to that soon. And by soon, I mean in the next episode. That's right, folks. It's the end of part two of Ocarina of Time. Things are getting spicy. 
But be sure to tune into the third and final episode soon to hear Cameron's cockamamie timeline theory that also I happen to like a lot. And while you're at it, check out all the other shows on audioentropy.com.